0: Genesis 41. We've been going through the book of Mark for for a long time on Sunday mornings and been going through the book of Genesis for quite a while on Sunday nights. And I believe the messages are going to have some pretty heavy overlap uh, as far as the attributes of God are concerned. Uh, This morning we looked at He is worthy. And tonight I want to look at He is faithful. And in our context in Genesis We've seen over the last couple of weeks um, how uh, the baker and butler were sent to the king's prison where Joseph was overseer and they both had a dream while they were there and Joseph was able to interpret their dreams for them just like uh, he said it came true. The butler was restored his position, the baker was hanged. And of course, Joseph, if there, wa- if there was ever a weakness seen in Joseph, it was when uh, he tried to help God and he told the butler, he said, I don't deserve to be here. I'm innocent. I was betrayed. And he said, tell Pharaoh to remember me. And of course, the butler forgot. But it just so happened that a couple of years later that Pharaoh had a couple of dreams that he couldn't interpret. All the magicians in the land, all of his counselors, uh, all of his wise men, nobody could interpret these dreams. And the light bulb came on for the butler and he says, I do remember (laughs) there's a Hebrew slave in the prison that was able to interpret our dreams. And so Uh, They got him cleaned up, shaved, changed, and he comes before Pharaoh and he interprets this dream. And not only does he interpret the dream to tell him that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of drought, but, you know, uh, Joseph said, And Pharaoh, you need to pick out, you know, somebody who's wise in these type of matters and you need to put him over this endeavor uh, that we can make it through the seven years of drought by saving in the good years. And it wasn't like Joseph was winking at him, you know, trying to, get a position, but Pharaoh basically said, who better for the job than this man in whom the Spirit of God is? And so he gives him the robe and the ring. And And tonight we're really going to see the benefits of that exaltation tonight. And it just shows the faithfulness of God to His people. But <clears throat> Genesis 41, uh, let's begin in verse 45. It says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zappaneth-Panaeim. "...and he gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potiphorah, the priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was thirty years when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and went throughout all the land of Egypt... And in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field which was round about every city laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine, uh, which Asenath the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me to forget all my toil fa- and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenty, plentyness, that was in the land of Egypt were ended." And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, "'Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do.' And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt.' And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Your Word tonight, thankful for the good testimonies. Uh, God, just thankful for salvation that we can be confident in. And I just pray that You would enter me a sin in self and fill me Your Holy Spirit. And uh, God, that You would help us tonight, Lord, that we would leave here uh, stronger and closer to You than when we came, that You would give us strength for the weak. And I pray that you would be magnified by the preaching of your word. Make it simple and powerful, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. We're looking at the thought of He is faithful. And, you know, the Word of God has an awful lot to say about the faithfulness of God. This is certainly not the depth of it, but I just picked some verses out. Um, he's called faithful and true. Jesus Christ, one of His names, is faithful and true. That's in Revelation 19, verse 11. Uh, Jesus Christ is called the faithful witness, Revelation 1 and verse 5. God is called a faithful creator, 1 Peter 4.19. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. 1 Corinthians one nine. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we find in our text that God has been faithful to Joseph, He brought him through betrayal, slavery, being lied about by Potiphar's wife in prison. Thirteen years of this, we saw that Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. We just read in our text, he's 30. So that's 13 years of really unthinkable trials. Uh, never seeing his father again, not truly knowing the future, uh, being enslaved, being imprisoned. And no doubt that if he's anything like me... He probably had times where he felt like God wasn't faithful. Have you ever felt like that before? Where you, I mean, you might have even known it in your head. Sometimes there's things we know in our head, but there's things that if we're honest, we feel in our heart, we may never say them out loud. But that's exactly how Satan works. You go all the way back to the garden. He he made, and I mentioned it this morning, that he made Eve to feel like that God was holding out on her. That by eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that somehow she would have something that God had withheld from her. And no doubt, when we feel that way, when we feel like God's been unfaithful, that's when temptation and sin, uh, that's when it becomes dangerous. That's when it becomes attractive. But if we understand that God, listen, God has never been unfaithful. There's not been one hour, not one second in eternity that God has been unfaithful. If we could just get that through our minds, it would help us. We find Him being faithful to Joseph. And we got to keep in mind, this is so important. We have to remember that God's faithfulness to us is about not only about our good, but it's about His glory. And the questions that I want to try to ask and answer tonight is, In what ways is God faithful? I think we see it here very plainly in our text. But first of all, I think God is faithful in His Word. It's been mentioned tonight by more than one person. I believe He's faithful in His Word. I love this. I love this. Let's back up and get some context. Let's look at verse 38 in chapter 41. And Pharaoh uh, said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? What a testimony. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Forasmuch as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Um, this is so important because you have to ask yourself a question Why did this pagan ruler make this Hebrew slave? the ruler of everything, just second to him. Why, why would he do that? I mean, after the dreams had been interpreted, he could have gotten somebody else to carry out what needed to be done. Why did he do that? It's because Pharaoh, even as pagan as he was, he recognized that Joseph spoke as a prophet. He recognized that the words he spoke were not his words. They were the very words of God. He was telling Pharaoh what God had told him. These were the words of God. And Pharaoh recognized that. And listen, when we, when we have this scene in our mind, I, I cannot overstate this aspect of it. You have to understand and envision what's going on here. Um, Egypt is a land of multiple gods. Multiple gods. And even Pharaoh himself was considered to be the god Ra. He was considered to be God. He was uh, Ra, God incarnate. And they had magicians and counselors. And uh, you, you you can go down the whole list. And here comes this Hebrew slave talking about his true and living God. I mean, honestly, they must have thought he was silly only believing in one God. And yet, he recognized that Joseph served a true and a living God. And he said, there's nobody more qualified for this than Joseph because he answers and serves a God that's much bigger than this situation. And so God is faithful to His Word. And by the way, God is glorified by keeping His Word. God is glorified in keeping His Word. His Word is absolute truth. In fact, God cannot even lie. We find this in Titus 1 and verse 2 that God cannot lie. He is the true and the living God, and every single other God out there is nothing but a brainchild of sinful men and women. Right. We we create. I talked about it this morning. How even in the Christian church we create a Jesus in our own imagination right. that that's okay with what we do, and if we serve a God that's just like us and okay with everything we do, then our God actually stares at us in the mirror. Right. And so that's not it. The, the Pharaoh's gods were fake. They weren't real. They were chiseled and designed and modeled after the wicked imagination of men and women. Those dead gods couldn't hear. Those dead gods couldn't help. But the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He could. Amen. And so what an amazing, amazing testimony this was that God was faithful to His Word and by that, He was glorified. He was faithful to His Word to Joseph. The dreams that He had given him were now coming to pass. And all these other gods, they they just rob. They they seek to rob God of the worship that He deserves. But He will not be robbed of His glory in this world or in the next world. And so Pharaoh recognized that, that there's nobody more... uh, There's nobody... It's more designed for this. It's more ready for this. It's more trustworthy. And so God was glorified in this. And by the way, God was even more glorified because of what Joseph had been through. I mean, you've you got to understand this. They had to go to the prison to shave him and change him and make him presentable to stand before Pharaoh. It's not like they went to the Ritz-Carlton and picked him up. <laughs> he came straight for, He went straight from the prison to the palace. Are you kidding me? That's just how God does things. For 13 years, Joseph had to wonder, am I ever going to get out of here? Am I going to die in here? Has God been faithful? Where is God at? And then God shows up and just like that, it's just like... I heard uh, Brother Daniel Williams preach a message one time. And he said it's exactly... the, The title of the series was, It Looks Exactly Like I Thought It Would. And he was talking about situations like Joseph when he looked back at the end of his life. (laughs) There were times where it didn't look like that. But when he looked back, it looked exactly like he thought it would. Or sometimes it looks better. You think about Moses' parents. Uh, They thought that uh, their son Moses, their child Moses was going to be killed. And not only was he not killed, uh, they were paid by Pharaoh to raise their own child. And so uh, God is glorified by keeping his word. Joseph didn't speak his own words, he spoke the words of God and gave God all the glory for everything that he'd given him. God is faithful to his word. But then, secondly, God is faithful to his workers. Look at verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphenathpne. And he gave him to wife, Asenath, the daughter, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls, And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number." And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of own, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. There's probably not a more beautiful text than what we just read in those last two verses. Um. When it comes to names here, let me break down some of these. The name that Pharaoh gave to Joseph was a pagan name. It's zappanath but it actually has a dual meaning. It can mean revealer of secrets or it can mean the God who lives and sees. Isn't that amazing that this pagan king recognized the source of his wisdom and knowledge? That's amazing to me. And I would just say this in, in reading this, that it pays to serve God. It pays to serve God. Hebrews eleven six says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Galatians six nine makes this promise, and let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He promises that we will reap what we've sown. He promises that. Sometimes it may not seem like that. Sometimes. It seems like we'll never make it. I'm sure Joseph felt that way, but he promised it. And we've already seen that God is faithful to His Word, but He's also faithful to His workers. And what I love about what we just read is Joseph, even with all of his blessings, with all the pressures of being in pagan Egypt, he kept his faith. He kept his faith. He even named his children with Hebrew names. Take that, Pharaoh in Egypt. He named his children in his native tongue. Hebrew names. And Manasseh means, God has caused me to forget. Think about that a minute. God has caused me to forget. Now, I know that there's probably not a person, I know there's not a person in this room that hasn't been deeply hurt by somebody at some point in time in your life. And I'm sure that pain is real, it's legitimate. I wouldn't try to minimize it, but when I look at Joseph's situation, he was he was betrayed by his brother, left for dead. I mean, being sentenced to Egyptian slavery was a death sentence, and then he endured this for thirteen years. Part of that being in prison from Potiphar's wife lying about him, and and so he's been through all this, and then he says, just almost in passing, God has caused me to forget. Isn't that amazing? There's nothing that God can't heal, and there's nothing that God cannot fix in His time and in His way. No. I mean, forever from that point, when they call that child's name, when, when the pagans in that land, when they heard His name, they understood exactly what it meant and what God had brought him through. It was, his son was a walking, talking testimony. I mean, even when they scolded him, Manasseh, you quit that. It was a testimony To the goodness of God, God has caused me to forget. Probably didn't feel that way sitting in that prison. I'll never forget this. I'll never get over this. And yet here he is. God has caused me to forget. Isn't that wonderful? But then we see the name of his other son, Ephraim, which means to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, if we're honest, we want to be fruitful in the places that we want to be. God, make me fruitful on the mountaintop. God, make me fruitful at that good job making a bunch of money. God, make me fruitful in that big brand new house that I see driving to work every day. God, make me fruitful in this relationship with my dream spouse. And God, make me fruitful with this mega ministry or this mega church. I mean, you know how we do. But this says right here that Ephraim means to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, Joseph hasn't left anywhere. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's in the same place that he's been in prison and in slavery for 13 years, and yet God has flipped a switch, and now He's fixing to use him here. Isn't that a a wonderful thought? I was reading the other day, and of course we talked about him several weeks ago in our Wednesday night study. We looked at um, the famous missionary Adoniram Judson and his wife and, and how they went to Burma, and it cost him everything. His wife died. I believe she was 36, the same age I am now. He lost babies, had to bury babies. He was imprisoned uh, in Burma there, and that particular prison was nothing but a big pit in the ground. It was a concrete pit. And at nighttime, they they had shackles on their ankles, and at nighttime, somebody would reach through the top with a hook, and they would reach that hook around the uh, ankle shackles, and they would pull it up, and they would have to sleep upside down with just a little bit of their back touching the floor. And we've seen you know, somebody like him that was faithful. And the thing about it is, this is my point bringing him up, uh, Adoniram Judson, he didn't see a single convert the first seven years he was over there. Not one. But after it was all said and done, there were hundreds and hundreds brought to Christ. And it was by the time you get into his translation work, it was thousands because he translated the Bible in the Burmese language. And so... Man, just faithfulness, just a little bit of of stick to it and uh, watch God work. You know, so quickly we were begging God to get us out of a situation, but I've learned that many times it's more beneficial to say, God, why don't you just come into my troubles with me? We see this here. God is faithful to His workers and He is glorified in doing so. I really would have liked to interview the people that Joseph worked around when he was in slavery. I would have liked to interview those that worked with him side by side. I would have liked to interview Potiphar. I would have liked to interview the, the keeper of the prison or the prisoners and ask them if they were really, really deep down, if they were just really shocked by what happened, getting called up by Pharaoh and how all that turned out. I, I don't think they would have been too surprised. I, don't, I just don't believe that. Because God is faithful to his workers. I'm thankful for that. Thirdly, tonight, I want to say that God is faithful to His world. Look at verse 53. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended... And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because of the famine was so sore in all lands. Now, what we see here is a great picture and a great illustration of the common grace and mercy of God. You know, God here, He is He's using Joseph. But at the end of the day, He is providing for a lost and dying world when they don't even have the foresight to be thankful. Even in judgment, there was mercy. Even in famine, there was plenty. God is good to His creatures regardless of how depraved that we may be. Um, But here's what I want to say. Talking about God being faithful now, and even kind of going back to Him being faithful to His Word. uh, People should not confuse God's goodness with Him being lax. Because, see, what happens is, God is giving people a space to repent. He is giving them a chance to get things right before judgment comes. But people take that goodness and grace and mercy, and they think that God is some kind of a father figure in the sky who's sitting on a rocking chair and winking at everybody and everything, and that's just not the case. God is ferociously holy. And one thing that we need to be reminded of is that justice delayed is not justice denied. And it was this same God that prior to this time flooded the entire earth. It's this same God that just a few generations after the time of Joseph... Uh, judged Egypt with the plagues and then destroyed Pharaoh and his entire army in the Red Sea. It's this same God that will cast the unbeliever into the lake of fire. You say, well, God would never do that. Well, that, you're going to, Your argument is with the Scriptures because it clearly says that He will. Right. Uh, the Bible says, don't fear them, that can just kill the body, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That's talking about God. That's not the devil. That's God. You say, well, how could God do that? I'd say, how could God not do that? Because He is ferociously holy. And whenever I've been uh, uh, doing some open-air preaching, whether it be uh, maybe a gay pride parade or an abortion clinic or whatever the case may be, it, it always amazed me how... Uh, certain arguments work the same way every time with everybody that I've ever dealt with. And one of the arguments that was never even attempted to refute is I would, you know, they always said that, you know, what, what do you have against love? They always twist that word love. What do you have against love? And, and, and um, why can't you just serve our God? He's a God of love, you know, God of love. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, my God is a God of love. I said, you're the one that serves the hateful God. And they say, what are you talking? How can you possibly say that? I said, because your God lets rapists and pedophiles into heaven scot-free. They just tend to walk off when you say that. You see, God is holy. He's righteous. He must punish sin. He has to punish sin. He can't turn a blind eye to it. And I'm thankful for that. Aren't you glad He's a righteous judge that cannot be bribed? He cannot be bought... I'm so thankful for that. How many corrupt trials have we seen in our lifetime? We could think of the major ones. He's not going to be like that. Right. He's not going to be confused by gloves that don't fit. And we could name things. But see, here's the problem with that. You see, we can look at those things and we can be enraged by that. We can say, yeah, you know, you know God's going to get them. God's going to judge them and we forget That we're vile, rotten sinners in the eyes of God. Uh, Derek read the passage from Isaiah 64 this morning that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. And I've said it so many times. I mention a lot on the podcast. But good works can never erase broken laws. Good works can never erase broken laws. If you stand before a judge in the state of Utah having broken the law, and let's just say you're guilty. Maybe it was... uh, getting a really bad speeding ticket, maybe you killed somebody, maybe you had a deal. I, I don't know what the case is. But you stand before the judge and you're guilty and all the evidence proves you as being guilty. And you say, well, judge, I know I'm guilty uh, and I probably deserve some prison time or whatever else. But I, I just want you to know I'm a good person. I work at a soup kitchen. I go to church. I give money to charity. And he's gonna look across his desk and say, what does that have to do with the fact you broke the law? Right. And we act like God's gonna be like God's gonna take a scale and weigh out our good works and bad works to see whether or not we get in as if right. he could be bribed. Right. He must judge sin. Amen. And in fact, he is so faithful to judging sin. Look at what he did to Jesus. Right, right. If you wanna know what God thinks about sin, look at what he did to Jesus on the cross. The Romans didn't kill Him. The Jews didn't kill Him. You go read Isaiah 53. It pleased God to bruise Him. He slayed His own Son on that cross because He was wearing our sins in His body on the tree. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, look at what He did to Jesus. But if you want to know what God thinks about sinners, look at what Jesus did on the cross. And so... We see that God is faithful. Listen, He's faithful to His workers. But He's faithful uh, not only in His promise to His workers, He is faithful to His Word in the judgment of sinners. And understand that that in the same way that God is glorified by keeping His Word and blessing the promises to His workers, He is glorified in the judgment of sinners. I know that, that seems kind of foreign to our concept But friend, He's a righteous God. He's a righteous judge. And He will punish sin. And if He didn't, I'm going to explain to you what would happen. You see, God has a zero-tolerance policy for sin. One sin cast Adam and Eve out of His presence. Um, He can't let one sin into heaven. Do you realize that if God was not a righteous judge like He is, if He didn't have a zero-tolerance policy for sin, that heaven would be just like it is here. There would be cemeteries and hospitals and prisons and abortion clinics. I'm so glad that when I leave here, it's not just going to be a repeat of what we have down here. God hates sin. He hates it. And some people have said, well, you know, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. But here's the problem with that. God's not going to throw the sin into the lake of fire. He's going to throw the sinner into the lake of fire. He's, going to, he's not going to throw the alcohol in there. He's going to throw the drunkard into hell. He's not going to throw rape into hell. He's going to throw the rapist in there. He's going to throw the unbeliever and the blasphemer and the adulterer. and the the, I mean, you could go on down the list. But listen, He's faithful in His Word. He's faithful in judgment. And He would eventually judge Egypt. We see that, and we're going to see that when we go through the Exodus. But uh, we need to understand that God is faithful. So because He's faithful to His Word, you can take what He says to the bank. Right. He cannot lie. And so, yes, He will punish sin, but I'm so thankful tonight that we don't have to. <laughs> we can repent and believe and trust Jesus Christ. And I, I wrap it up with this, and I don't want to get too deep with this. I, I do think that people can get crazy when it comes to allegories and things like that, types and whatnot, but I will say... Uh, that Joseph is one of the greatest types and pictures of Jesus Christ in the entire Bible. Uh, Both of them were betrayed by their brethren. Both of them were sold for the price of a slave. Uh, Both of them were lied about. Uh, Both of them um, were exalted. I mean, you could go on with that, but even in our text, I love how that when Joseph is exalted... He marries a Gentile bride. I love that, don't you? I believe it's a beautiful picture of the church here. And so my question is, are you in the church? Do you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? We need to trust Him in His finished work on the cross for salvation. But if you are saved, we need to trust Him in the fact that He is faithful to His Word. I'll say this and I'll be done. Going back to the garden again. The first time Satan is ever quoted, he says, Yea, hath God said. God told Adam and Eve, You can eat of every tree in this garden, but do not eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, because in the moment you do, you'll surely die. And Satan says, Did did God really say that? Let me tell you what the truth is. See, God's lied to you. You can't trust what God says. You see, if He can make us doubt His Word... If he can make us doubt his faithfulness to his word, then we have no foundation by which to stand on anything. The reason that the American church is not standing uh, for anything is because we're not standing on anything. That's right. That's true. That's where we're at. And so we need to know that God is faithful to his word. We need to memorize this book, read it, eat it, sleep it, breathe it, believe it. Because if we don't, I mean, we're we are we're sensory creatures, aren't we? We live by what we see. We live by what we hear. But even those things are tainted by our sinful nature. I mean, it's amazing to me how even the facts can look different to somebody else. I can walk outside and look at a beautiful sunset. And we, do, we live in a beautiful place here. I can walk outside and look at the snow-capped mountains. I can see the sunset behind the mountains. I can look at the snow and... I mean, and all the unbelievable factors that come together for that to happen. I can feel the heartbeat in my chest. I, I know that there's 30 million nerve endings in my eyes that allow me to see you right now. There's auditory nerves that allow you to hear me. Some of you wish you didn't have them right now. But, but I can look at that and I say, wow, what a God. What a Creator. What an intelligent designer. I mean, even if somebody hasn't come to the place where they believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, they're not sure about the Word of God, they can look, the heathen in the jungles of nowhere can walk outside and know that this just didn't happen by itself. Right. I mean, it's, it's insane for the atheist. Every single thing in this world has a designer except for everything. Everything has a design. These chairs, this ceiling, the walls, the parking lot, everything has a designer except for the universe, the most complex of all things. Just just happened. Something came from nothing, but that there's no way that nothing could be God. That's where we're at. We need to be faithful in what God said because He is faithful. He's faithful to us. He is faithful. And I can promise you that no matter what gripes somebody has against Him, no matter what uh, condemnation, no matter what slurs, whatever uh, people throw at God, He will be perfectly and absolutely vindicated. 100%. God is faithful, folks. He's faithful to His Word, both in judgment and in the promises to His children. And He's faithful to His Word in judgment. We can trust what God says. We can trust God. We can trust Him.